Grace, mercy, peace, it's all yours in abundance from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So today we're continuing our sermon series called Endure. If you remember from last week, uh, each week during the Sundays of Lent, we're going to walk through all the different things that Jesus endured for us to save us, to set us free, to forgive us and make us his children. And last week, we went out to the desert and we watched that royal rumble between Jesus and Satan and how Jesus combated every temptation and he did it for us to defeat the devil. This morning, we're going to look at another thing that Jesus endured for us, and it's guilt. We're going to see how Jesus endured our guilt and how he took it upon himself so that we would be set free from it. Now, guilt is a really, really, really powerful emotion. Would you agree with that? Guilt can cause all kinds of health issues. It can cause psychological issues, right? As we just mill over the things from our past, things that we either have done and regretted or, or things that we didn't do that we wish we did. And so guilt is super, super, super powerful. In fact, I remember, I don't know when it was, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, right? Kind of the, the scam that was going around at the time was you'd get this email. And it'd say something like this, we know what you did, and if you don't send us money, if you don't do what we're asking you to do, we're going to expose you, we're going we're gonna to tell your family, we're going to tell your friends, we're going to tell your neighbors, we're going to out you. Now, of course, that was a scam, but I wonder how many people actually did it. They were scared. They were nervous. And then this week I came across a story that I'd never heard before, and it was kind of a, a, a more older version of the same scam. Supposedly, this happened in London like 100 years ago, and somebody sent out the same letter to 20 upstanding people in the community. And everybody's letter was the same. And the letter simply said, we know what you did, so just leave and get out of town before we expose you. I don't know if this is true or not, but, but the story says it's true, and they said that all 20 of those individuals who got the letter left town. And whether that's true or not, I, I think it goes back to, to the topic of guilt. Guilt is a powerful, powerful emotion that all of us have faced in our lives before. And this is what guilt sounds like. If only I wouldn't have said that, then that relationship would still be intact. Or if only I would have actually done that, and maybe I should have said that, but now I don't have the chance anymore because they're gone. Or you know what, it was, it was just one night, it was not supposed to be a big deal, but it turned into something much bigger, and if I could turn back the clock, I would do it, but we all know as human beings you can't. 
Right? Guilt is one of those things that can be crushing, it can be debilitating, and we try to do all kinds of things with it, don't we? Maybe we try to, to ignore it. If I can just stay busy over here, I don't have to think about this, and then maybe it will go away. Or, maybe if I just kind of pull myself up by those moral bootstraps and try a little bit harder, and, and I'll do this to amend for that, and then, and then I'll feel better about it, and, and things will be okay Or maybe sometimes we start going like this. <laughs> we start looking at others, we point the finger at them, we point out their flaws, so that we don't have to actually look in the mirror and address our own. But no matter what we do, guilt remains pointing its finger squarely at us. In fact, guilt is so bad, I, I was doing some reading on, uh, I think it was psychology.com. It's kind of a big website about mental health in the 21st century. And it said the number one reason, and I think they're right on this, the number one reason for mental health issues and the number one reason for suicide is unresolved guilt. All right, that guilt of something you said or did or something you didn't say or didn't do and you should have and you never unpacked it, the person never addressed it, and so now it's coming out in so many negative ways. Well, this morning as we talk about the topic of guilt, we're going to meet up with a woman who is carrying her fair share of guilt. And she's going to, she's gonna, we're going to see in this lesson how she, she maybe tried for years and years and years to address it, but the solution was only going to come from one place, the same place that we need to go to with our guilt too, and it's Jesus. And so we're going to look at this section from John chapter 4, and I don't know about you, but I saw an awful lot of similarities between me and this woman, and then Jesus and what he does for all of us. And so before we dig into this, let's open with a prayer. Father, we all come here with our own struggles and trials and certainly our own unresolved guilt in some way, shape, or form. The things we've, we've done that we regret, the things that we wish we could have done and should have done, but we didn't. And so this morning, we're going to need your help, Jesus, to unpack this all, and, and we're going to need you to take it away from us, as only you can. And so as we consider this, this account with the Samaritan woman, help us, like her, to see you more clearly. And to know that you are the one who came to endure our guilt, our shame, our pain, our sorrow, our suffering and sin, so that we could be set free from that forever. So now bless our time in this section of your word and use it to strengthen our faith and to strengthen our, our, our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. So let's turn to it. John chapter 4. This is what we're told. So he, Jesus, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. So, so maybe real quick, if you're remembering Old Testament history way back, think of, think of Jacob and Esau, right? And then Jacob goes down to, to Egypt, and they stay there for a long, long time. They become slaves. God brings them back. And then those 12 sons of Jacob get different parts of, of the land, Okay. So that's what he's talking about. So that's the part of Israel that they're in. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for the Samaritans did not associate, or for the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Now, I think at first glance, 21st century Americans, if we're not careful, we're going to miss the cultural context here and why this was such a huge interaction between Jesus and this woman. First of all, just to give you a little geography lesson, we've got a map here of Israel. So, if you see down there, Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, if you're going to go up to Galilee, which Jesus and the disciples are going up to Galilee, the direct route, you see it with the arrow there on the map. It'd be relatively quick, easy, there, there would be nice paths and everything, but you know what most Jews did? They did this. They went all the way around just to avoid Samaria. Right, another Old Testament lesson for you. The Samaritans kind of come from, from back in the Old Testament. 722, the northern kingdom of Israel is wiped out by the Assyrians. And there's some people that are left. And they're Jewish by blood, but they stay. They intermingle with the cultures there. They, they intermarry. And so now, in Jesus' day, a full-blooded Jew looked at a Samaritan as nothing more than a dirty half-breed that they wanted nothing to do with. They were not a part of God's family. They, they were deluded and polluted, and they were not part of God's chosen people anymore. And so most Jews are going to go all the way around just so they don't have to go through their country, their land, just so they don't have to interact with Samaritans. And so, it's kind of ironic then, right, that Jesus, him and his disciples traveled straight through. That would have been considered a no-no for any fine, upstanding Jewish person. But Jesus did it. Another thing that kind of jumps out that I hope you can see here this morning too is Jesus doesn't just go the direct route to get there quickly to Galilee. He actually stops. He gets off the interstate, he pulls into a rest stop, he, he's going to get something to drink, some food, he's tired, he's hungry, he actually stops. It's bad enough, Jesus, that you're going through Samaritan territory, but then you're going to stop there? Ugh. And I think you need to understand that all the more, right? Jesus was not going to let cultural barriers stop him from spreading the good news. But that's not the end of it, right? Because as Jesus is sitting there, this woman comes. And Jesus speaks to her. Again, 21st century Americans, what's the big deal? Back then, that was a no-no. Right? A, a, a grown man, a Jewish man, a teacher, a rabbi, would not have talked to a woman like that in public. It was considered a cultural no-no. You don't do that! In fact, if you read a little bit beyond what we read today, which I would encourage you to do this week, when the disciples come back, and even, it even they're kind of confused. Like, What's Jesus doing? But we're not going to say anything. But in their mind, we don't do this, Jesus. And so there Jesus is. He's tired. He, he looks up at this woman from Samaria, and he says, you give me something to drink. I'm thirsty, please. And you heard how the Samaritan woman... She, this wasn't lost on her. This ain't right. This seems weird. What, what are you doing? But then they start this dialogue. And, and have you ever talked to somebody where you kind of feel like they're trying to steer your conversation somewhere else? 
right? Like, I'm talking to this person about this specific issue, but no matter what you say, they keep throwing things out that they're trying to, to skirt the issue and change the direction of the conversation. Well, that's the Samaritan woman. Did you catch that? Right, she's talking about physical water, and Jesus keeps trying to direct her to spiritual water. <laughs> because maybe she didn't even know how thirsty she was for it. Although I would suspect that she kind of knew. Right, you noticed in the lesson it said she came at noon. I don't think that was just by coincidence. That would not have been the normal time that the ladies of the town would come out to the well to get water for the day. They would have done it at the beginning of the day. They would have done it in the cool of the day. But she comes at a time when she knew no one was going to be there. Maybe one of two things are happening. We're going to talk about this in just a second, but we're going to see exactly what her issues were. Maybe one, she was feeling the guilt of her own sinful choices. Maybe she at one point used to go to the well early in the day to be with the other ladies, which I would assume a lot of that back then would have been a kind of a social gathering too, but she got tired of the snares and the snickering and the finger pointing and the holier-than-thou attitudes that maybe some of the ladies showed her. Well, of course, Jesus knows all this. He sees right through all of this. This is exactly why he goes to Samaria in the first place, just to find this woman. And so they have this dialogue. And then Jesus goes on and he says this to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said. Right, you see, she's thinking water again, physical water, not spiritual you have nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Mm. Could you imagine being this woman, right? You just meet this guy. Never seen him before in your life. And you have this kind of weird, interesting dialogue, and you're not really sure where he's going with this, and you're not even sure why a, a Jewish male is even talking to you to begin with. And then he tells you your whole life story. He knows about all the failed marriages. He knows about the fact that the guy you're with now won't even love you enough to give you his last name, and, and this guy knows it all. And... He still talks to you. I think now we get a better understanding of what this woman was thirsting for, right? She was thirsting for love. She was thirsting for acceptance. She was thirsting for, for somebody to care enough about her, to love her, to forgive her, to not just run out on her, right? She tried it in five husbands. 
And she's even trying a number six with a guy who wasn't even her husband. She longed for love. She longed for peace. She longed for forgiveness. She longed to be set free from the guilt of past bad decisions. What about you? What kind of baggage with guilt have you been carrying around with you? Maybe that's left you wanting for for love, longing for peace, longing for, for the guilt to just be removed so you can take a breath again, longing for forgiveness to be set free. What is it for you? Or maybe if, if you would have said that all those years ago, that friendship would still be intact. Maybe if you would have just listened to your parents instead of rebelled against them because you thought your way was better, maybe, maybe that relationship wouldn't be so stressed. Or if only I would have been a better parent, then, then maybe my grown kids would call a little bit more or, or come around. But that hasn't been happening. Maybe if I would have actually said the words I should have said, but now I can't because she's gone. Maybe if I would have actually left the party earlier and not stayed, that one night thing wouldn't have happened. Maybe if I would have made some better choices when I was younger, I wouldn't have the physical ailments I have now. Maybe if I didn't live for myself all the time, whether it's chasing jobs or careers or money, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. What kind of guilt are you carrying? What kind of longing is in your heart, right? Maybe if you could only fix this issue, then you'd be happy. Get that job, then you'd be satisfied. Get that income, then everything would work out. If only your kids would get listened, if only the spouse would get on board, if only this and that. Mm. I don't think we're any different than that Samaritan woman. All of us, in our own ways, are thirsting for something. We're thirsting for approval, we're thirsting for forgiveness, we're thirsting for peace of mind, we're thirsting to, to get rid of the baggage and guilt that drags us down. Maybe the bigger question is this. What do we do when we're in those situations? Because it's quite obvious the Samaritan woman... <laughs> She went from the arms of one man to another, to another, to another, to another, still unfulfilled, still not at peace, still not set free from her sin and her guilt. And I think of how we do the same thing. Maybe we do it this way. Maybe we, we binge watch too much of our favorite shows at night just so we don't actually have to think about whatever issue it is we're struggling with. Or for some, maybe it's consuming too much food or alcohol or popping pills just to mask the pain because that seems better or easier than actually dealing with it. Some of us, maybe you want to just hide away in a room and be away from everybody. That way you can't hurt them and they can't hurt you. 
But that doesn't seem to help, does it? Or maybe for some of us, we, we don't even always recognize our guilt or our need and how we're thirsty, but we pack our schedule so full of stuff that we don't even have time to take a breath and deal with some of the things that maybe need to be dealt with, some of that unresolved guilt. On that day, Jesus did not make a mistake. It wasn't like his GPS wasn't working right and it took him off course into Sychar. He wanted to be there. He wanted to meet this woman. And he wanted to give her what she had been longing for so long, a cool drink of water of life. And he did. <laughs> That's maybe the most crazy part of the whole story to me, right? You're having this conversation. Well, when the, when the Savior comes, we're told that he's going to explain everything to us. And then Jesus, one of those mic drop moments in Jesus' ministry, uh, you're talking to him. And then I'll help you end the story. We didn't read it today, but she actually goes back into town. She, she tells everybody she can, and not only her, but many others in Samaria heard the good news of Jesus and lived. You know Jesus has done the same for you? Your life is no mistake. The situations you're in are not just happenstance. Jesus comes to you, and he knows what he's going to find. He's going to find a broken sinner, because that's why he came. And there are no other kinds of people on the planet other than broken sinners in need of Jesus' forgiveness, and so he came. He came to endure all things to save you. Your need for unconditional love, it's met in the Savior who came from heaven to this earth to rescue you, and he did. Your need for approval? <laughs> he meets that too. It doesn't matter what others think or say about you. Well, the only thing that matters, Jesus says, is what I have declared you to be, and you are forgiven. You are saved. You're my child. And so now you can live in peace and freedom because you're only living for an audience of one. Your need for forgiveness? Jesus marched all the way to a cross. And he was willing to have all of your sins poured out on him so that he could pay them in full and look at you and say, free. Forgiven. And your guilt? Jesus says, I've taken it away. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed it. You know, one of the problems we often have, guys, and I've said this before, right? We come into places like this and we confess our sins and we take all of our garbage and all of our guilt and sins, we dump it at the foot of the cross like Jesus says. And then when the pastor says amen, you know what we often do? And we grab that bag and we drag it right back home with us. And you know what Jesus says? Don't. Leave it here. I've paid for it. It's gone. It does not need to, to hold you prisoner anymore. So, the next time you deal with guilt, or maybe you're sitting here this morning dealing with some guilt in your life, what are you going to do with it? Number one, acknowledge it. Don't ignore it. Don't try to push it into the corner. Don't try to medicate it or, or binge watch it away because it's not going anywhere. Acknowledge it. And then Jesus says, confess, repent. Come to me and come to the person you hurt and come clean. Just, just say I'm sorry. And then Jesus says, but, but this is key. 
then give it to me. Give it to me, and I'll take your guilt, and I'm going to give you forgiveness and freedom. So, so you take that and enjoy, and I've paid for this already. Friends, give it to the one who already paid the price. Give it to the one who promises to never leave you or, or forsake you. The one who says, I know the deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets and sins you've ever committed, but I still want to join you at the well and give you a drink of water. Give it to the one who endured even our guilt on that cross to set you free. Amen.